the stupid is very strong in this one. Not, not, not this one. This one. Very, very baked bread. And the little-known woman who actually discovered what the universe is made of. Nobody knows who she is. Until tonight, we're going to tell you. All that more coming up on The Jay Sheldon Show. Welcome in, everybody. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and Rumble.com, all four platforms. Carry our show live Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, 10 p.m. Malaysian time, 10 a.m. on the east coast of the United States of America. And uh, hello and welcome in to all of our podcast listeners. We are also, the audio part of our show is a podcast, and uh, we put that out about 20 minutes after... uh, after our show is uh, over being live. And the beginning of every show, of course, we start off with this lovely little lady. Miko Update. Yes, the Miko Update. She's doing great. Uh, she's doing really very, very well. Uh, we had a couple of nice walks today. Uh, we had. I tried to get her on the show again tonight, but apparently... You know, Miko and the whole attitude thing. She doesn't want anything to do with it. So we're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> we'll see. One of these days. Hey, we did get a report, though, by the way, from Paul. Oh, my goodness. You're not going to believe what's going on. Hold on. I got to move my microphone back. Guess who's here? Miko. Hi, baby. Come here. Look at you. Oh my goodness, you're so fat. There she is, folks. She made it. Hey, look at that. Who's that beautiful girl on screen there? Who is that? Can you see? Check it out. For the first time in like months, a live Miko update. Look at that. Look at you. You're doing so good. Huh? You love watching yourself on camera, don't you? She's she's fascinated. She's looking at the monitor right in front of her. All right. How about that, baby? Are you doing good? Your fans all wanted to say hi. Okay. All right. I gave you three cookies tonight. You got three cookies for eating your dinner. How's that? <laughs> all right, baby. Hang on. I got to get her down. Oh, my God. She weighs a ton. All right, good girl. Good job. Good job, Miko. Wow, an actual Miko update. (laughs) Uh, Richard Wyman liked the stream. Thank you very much, Richard. Appreciate it. Wow. Hey, Miko. Good job, baby. Thank you, dear. (laughs) Oh, man. I can't believe she actually made it. That is the first time in probably a half a year we've been able to actually get her on the show. But, uh, yeah, so there you go. You got to see her live. If you're listening on the podcast, you can always watch the video. It's on Rumble.com or YouTube or Facebook or Twitch. Rumble.com, I have all the shows there. You can just check out the uh, the video. And, uh, yeah, very, very cool. Um, and not only that, I'm so pleased that Miko actually made it live because Miko's update is brought to you by the good folks at BarkBox.com. There is a link in the top of our show notes. It's BarkBox.com slash Miko. 
And if you go to that link, you will get a special deal. They have an exclusive offer for our followers here on the Jay Sheldon Show for Miko fans. You get an extra month for free, totally free, when you sign up for a multi-month subscription. Now, what's BarkBox? It is the coolest box of doggy stuff you get once every month. Every month is themed. And you've got like, like right now, I think there's a back to school theme. Uh, all ki- you get two or three different toys for your dog. Uh, you get a few treat bags of treats. They're all natural, all natural ingredients. Uh, and you also get a dog chew. Uh, Cheryl Tebalt's like the stream. All right, Cheryl. Nice to see you. I got- <laughs> Cheryl is a, um, a dear from, friend from back in my hometown of uh, Cornwall, Connecticut. I got a story about that. Well, a comment coming up in just a bit. Let me get through this for BarkBox here. But uh, anyway, BarkBox, great company. You can specify whether you have a small, medium, or large dog, because you know the toys are going to vary depending upon the size of your dog. And also, if your dog has any allergies, like to beef or lamb or fish or something, uh, chicken, uh, you can click a box and they won't, they'll make sure that you don't get uh, treats and chews that include those ingredients. They're very customer service oriented. If you're not satisfied with a toy or a treat, you send it back, they will replace it, no questions asked. Barkbox.com slash Miko is our special link. Now, sadly, they don't yet ship internationally. So anywhere in the U.S. or U.S. territories, I believe also Canada, you're good to go. Just barkbox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O. Uh, other places, they're working on it. As soon as they get international shipping, or if you want, you could sign up for one of those, you know, forward shipping services, and eh, that would work too. Anyway, BarkBox.com is the place to check out, and uh, these trust me, you will not be disappointed. The treats you get are absolutely amazing. They are. There's a sample of some of the stuff from BarkBox. I noticed, in fact, for people here in Malaysia, uh, even though you can't get it shipped here, um, they've got these little mooncakes as one of their treats. It's probably for this month because, you know, tis the season. But, uh, yeah, BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O is the link. It's in our show notes, our description down below. Use that. Check it out if you're in the U.S. or U.S. territories. And sign up today. You can sign up for just one month. Get one box. That's it. You're done. Or six months or 12 months. The longer you sign up for, the less expensive it's going to be each month. And like I said, if you use Miko's special link, you'll get a free extra month with a multi-month subscription. How about that? Cool beans. So thank you to BarkBox for, uh, for sponsoring that. Right, I'm just going to, before we get into our topics tonight, I want to tell you something I saw posted. I, I graduated from high school in 1976. Yeah, a freaking long time ago. Somebody, and there's a group of us on Facebook that are the class of 76, well, somebody posted today that today is the day that we all got together for the first time and started high school 50 years ago. Oh. 50 years. I'm that freaking old. You know, all of a sudden, my back started hurting. A few extra wrinkles popped out. Uh, Seriously. (laughs) 50 years ago today, the class of 76 started high school as freshmen. Wow. 
unbelievable. The memories I have at Housatonic Valley Regional High School, unbelievable. I tell you, I consider myself so lucky having grown up in what at the time was the most amazing hometown of Cornwall, Connecticut, and going to school there in Falls Village at HVRHS. Uh, Cornwall Consolidated School was my grammar school. I remember all of my teachers. I, I can close my eyes and see their faces and hear their voices to this day. Um, it was a time, sadly, that doesn't much exist anymore. That is sad. But, uh, yeah, so thank you to whoever posted that in the uh, Class of 76 uh, group for making me feel very, very old. <laughs> because I am. All right. Well, this announcement today came out. I, I don't know if I included it in our show notes or not, because it just happened within the last few hours. Uh, Malaysia has finally decided to join most of the civilized world. And uh, as of now, the use of face masks indoors is an option. There is our health minister, KJ. Uh, the use of face masks no longer mandatory inside. The health minister uh, today announced that effective immediately, the use of face masks. Look, I know if you're in other countries, this has been around forever because you figured out that masks are totally useless a long time ago. But, you know, we take things a little more slowly here in Malaysia for the good or the bad. Uh, let's see, you, uh, you do need to still wear it using public transport. <clears throat> man on buses trains plane taxis e-hailing vehicles hospitals medical institutions this is so stupid i can't believe all right because you know they just they just can't let go they gotta hold on to that last little string they're like fighting give me that back anyway <laughs> the story is i i think i put this in our show notes uh the top uh, link here but anyway, no more masks. Thank you, Kyrie, and the Ministry of Health finally doing something interesting and helpful. Uh, all right, what else we got? Uh, wow, that's so much stuff going on here tonight. It's unbelievable. And yes, I'm having to, yes, I did put the link in our show notes, by the way. All right, stupid people. Stupid people online. Online is full of stupid people, and we found a collection of is stupidest a word? Probably not. <laughs> this specifically is about people who sell things online. I've done segments like this before, but there's a whole new batch of nightmares out there. People who make selling online a true nightmare. The internet has always been a marketplace for people to buy and sell things, whether it's Facebook, Craigslist, uh, Etsy, tons of places you can advertise secondhand items or products available uh, for purchase. The only trouble with dealing with a special kind of crazy person is uh, you can only find them online, apparently. Everyone's always trying to get the best bargain. The lengths they will go to are mind-boggling. The link to this article is in our show notes. Take a look at some of these exchanges between buyers and sellers and these idiots. Losers! Is the price negotiable? It's $2. <laughs> what are you going to negotiate, you moron? Unbelievable. How, how about this one? 
you look up secondhand products online, it's advisable to search in your own area. You might find a great deal on a cheap or free item, but if it's going to cost you somebody to go get it, it you know, you have to figure that into the cost. Well, take a look at this exchange. Is this still available? Address, please. Yes, I'm in Almer. Okay, I can't go there for just a microwave unless you pay me $25 for gas. <laughs> the person responded, I don't even know how to respond to that. Unreal. Yeah, unreal doesn't begin. Oh, man. Uh, they uh, Leaving bad reviews is another one, ridiculously so. But this person, pretty persistent, says, Hi, do you do free art? Hello? Are you ignoring me? Hello, are you there? You accepted the chat request. I'm going to leave a bad review. Unbelievable. The most hilarious part of this string is the threat to leave a bad review having never received anything. It's like uh, giving a one-star rating to a restaurant, but you didn't eat the food because you thought it was too expensive. Unbelievable. This is just incredible. Uh, hi, is this still available? Yes. What's the lowest price? 205 150 Sorry, that's too low. 140 <laughs> Where do we find these people? If 150 is too low, you're going to go ahead and offer 140. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. And just check them out. It's, it's funny as hell. And it, it's a whole chats back and forth between some of the people who are trying desperately to make a little extra money and sell something online and the idiots they have to deal with. Bottom line on this one, don't be an idiot. Seriously. You know, seriously. Unbelievable. Sorry, coffee break time. Okay. Probably one of the most famous women in the world whom you have never heard of. Take a look at this picture. Since her death in 1979, the woman who discovered what the universe is made of has not so much as received a memorial plaque. Her newspaper obituaries do not mention her greatest discovery. Every high school student knows that Isaac Newton discovered gravity. Charles Darwin discovered evolution. And Albert Einstein discovered the theory of relativity relativity of time. But when it comes to the composition of our universe, what the universe is made of, the textbooks simply say that the most abundant atom in the universe is hydrogen. And no one ever knows how we know that. Jeremy Knowles discussing the complex lack of recognition that Cecilia Payne gets even today for her revolutionary discovery. That is Cecilia Payne. Her mother refused to spend money on her college education, so she won a scholarship to Cambridge. 
Cecilia Payne completed her studies, but Cambridge would not give her a degree because at the time, there's not much exposure for women. So she said to, she said to heck with that, moved to the United States to work at Harvard. Cecilia Payne was the first person to ever earn a PhD in astronomy from Ratcliffe College with what Otto Strauf called the most brilliant PhD thesis ever written in astronomy. Not only did she discover what the universe is made of, she also discovered what the sun is made of. Incredible. Norris Russ, Henry Norris Russell, fellow astronomer, usually given credit for discovering the sun's composition is different from the Earth's, but he came to his conclusions four years later than Cecilia Payne after telling her not to publish. She is the reason we know basically anything about the variable stars, stars whose brightness is seen from the Earth to be fluctuating. Literally every other study on variable stars is based on this woman's work. She was the first woman to be promoted to a full professor from within Harvard, and often credited with breaking the glass ceiling for women in the Harvard Science Department and in astronomy, as well as inspiring entire generations of women to take up science. She is an awesome woman, and everybody should know who she is. The link to this uh, picture and story is in our show notes. I cannot encourage you enough to share this out on your social media and let people know about this awesome woman, Cecilia Payne. Wow. She deserves a lot more than what she is getting, and I hope you'll do something about that. Share that out. The link's in our show notes. Just right-click, copy it. You don't need to give me any credit. I don't care. I just want you to get that. Get the link out there and let people know, huh? All right. Burnt bread. I promised you burnt bread on tonight's show. No, I don't actually have any burnt, burnt bread. I have a picture of burnt bread. You won't believe this one. Take a look at this. Now, if you are a baker, uh, that's not a chocolate cake. That's a piece of bread. Here's the weird part. It is a carbonized loaf of bread found in Pompeii. If you know the story of Pompeii, Mount Vesuvius erupted, covered the city in lava, the amazing finds that our archaeologists have found there of people basically frozen in their tracks from the uh, blast of, the, uh, of Mount Vesuvius when it exploded. I'm sure you know the story of Pompeii. But this piece of bread was found in Pompeii completely carbonized, and so well-preserved, take a look there, it actually has the baker's mark still in it. Yeah, covered in volcanic ash now, Aldwin. You're right. <laughs> it certainly is that. Um, the stamp, that little stamp, I don't, let me see if I can get my, uh, I don't know if I can get my mouse back or not. Yeah, there you go. So you see up here where my mouse is, that is the baker's mark. And it was put there to prevent cheap imitations to ensure quality and uh, minimal to zero stone fragments, as stone dust was a byproduct of the two-stone milling technique. 
Uh, legit bread such as this ensures the buyer of fresh quality ingredients. The bulk of Rome's wheat came from Egypt and was considered better quality than that that was uh, directly controlled by the government. No stone chips and no broken teeth. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. As far as we know from the thousands of skeletons and their worn down teeth, that ultra-fine stone particles were wearing people's teeth down gradually. And uh, this is validated by more damage to older teeth than on younger children. Weird story, but indeed, they found this. This is a picture of a loaf of bread, including even the baker's mark, perfectly preserved in the uh, ruins of Pompeii. How weird is that? I told you, we bring you the weird stuff on this show, and we're bringing them on tonight. This is very cool. Links in our show notes. I basically read the whole story, but if you want to check it out or maybe share it on your own social media, uh, go ahead and do that, because it's, it's a really cool story. All right, we got one more, and then we're going to move on to our uh, book here tonight. Let's see what we've got coming up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the beginning... I mentioned the fact that someone posted today that uh, it was 50 years ago today that the my high school class, the class of 76, began their adventure as freshmen in high school. Uh, if you don't know, if you're not in the U.S., uh, the way school works in the U.S. is you go to kindergarten and then first through eighth grade. In some cases, 7th and 8th grade is called a junior high, but in my hometown, very tiny little place, from kindergarten all the way through 8th grade, uh, you were all in the same building, different classrooms, but the same building. And then you graduate from 8th grade or grammar school, and you go to high school, four years of high school as a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. And then you graduate high school, and you have a high school diploma. Well, Today's the day 50 years ago we would have started our adventure as the class of 76. Scary stuff. Anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I saw this. It's, it links in our show notes if you want to share it out. It's a very short little thing, but it, it's, it's one of those things that these days, now that I'm older, are really beginning to bug me. I mean, I get very emo about these things when I see them. This is a little bit funny, but, um, but emotional at the same time. Somebody posted this. I believe it's a tweet, but they did a screenshot from Upworthy. You're never too old to be held by mom. Well, this is what Emma Pickett posted. Today, when I was walking with my 18-year-old son, we talked about the concept that one day I carried him for what would be the last time. That idea that you put a young child down and then never pick them up again. That day, although we never mark it, happens. Thinking about that, just, it makes me very emo and I don't know why. Anyway, the last line she wrote is kind of funny. She said, we decided that was unacceptable. So I gave him a piggyback ride for 20 yards. <laughs> but, you know, someone posted 
Someone posted a while back, and I shared this too, that um, there was, a, you know how you all hang out with your friends when you're growing up as a teenager, and you know, you've got your gang. I had my gang in West Cornwall of um, Lloyd Golden, Mike Watts, Al DeGrenia, Guy Washburn, Tony and Tim Locke. Uh, I'm forgetting some, I'm sure. But uh, Chris Marola. Um, there was a day. We always used to hang out every day of the week, every night and twice on weekends. We'd just hang out and do stuff. We, or, do, or we'd just hang out. But there was a day. We don't know when it happened. I can't recall. I'm sure none of us can. But the day came when we all got together for what would be the last time. Never to get together again. You see what I'm saying? I don't know why. Maybe because I'm so old now. But those kind of imagining those moments that we weren't even aware of were happening at the time just get me all worked up. Yeah, you think about it. And if you're young enough, or you have kids that are young enough, encourage them to cherish every one of those moments. If you're a mom, you've got a kid that needs picking up once in a while, and it's a pain in the ass sometimes. Remember what I just read to you. There will come a day when you put your child down for what you won't know is the last time. Think about it. Wow. Why do I get so emo about these things? I don't know. Seriously, just weird <laughs> all right let's move on over to our book we are of course uh, wrapping up it's the last chapter of the adventure of sherlock holmes each chapter is a new adventure and we are about a third of the way through this one which is this rather odd uh, nanny who has been offered a strange position for a lot of money but it's one of those too-good-to-be-true things, so she's come to Sherlock Holmes to see if maybe it is too good to be true. I thought that if I told you the circumstances, you would understand afterward if I wanted your help. I feel so much stronger if I felt that you were at the back of me. Oh, you may carry that feeling away with you, I assure you that your little problem promises to be the most interesting, which has come my way for some months. There is something distinctly novel about some of the features. If you should find yourself in doubt or in danger, danger? What danger do you foresee? Holmes shook his head gravely. It would cease to be a danger if we could define it, said he. But at any time, day or night, a telegram would bring me down to your help. Well, that is enough. She rose briskly from her chair with the anxiety all swept from her face. I shall go down to Hampshire, quite easy in my mind. Now I shall write to Mr. Russ Rucastle at once, sacrifice my poor hair tonight, and start for Winchester tomorrow. With a few grateful words to Holmes, she bade us both good night and bustled off on her way. Well, at least, said I, 
as we heard her quick, firm step descending the stairs. She seems to be a young lady who's very well able to take care of herself. And she would need to be, said Holmes gravely. I am, I am much mistaken if I do not hear from her before many days are past. It was not very long before my friend's prediction was fulfilled. A fortnight went by, during which I frequently found my thoughts turning in her direction, wondering what strange side alley of human experience this lonely woman had strayed into. The unusual salary, the curious conditions, the light duties, all pointed to something abnormal. Though whether a fad or a plot, or whether the man were a philanthropist or a villain, it was quite beyond my powers to determine. As to Holmes, I observed that he'd frequently, for half an hour on end, with knitted brows and abstracted air, but he swept the matter away with a wave of his hand when I mentioned it. Dada, 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 he cried impatiently. I can't make bricks without clay. And yet he would always wind up by muttering that no sister of his should ever have accepted such a situation. The telegram, which we eventually received, came late one night, just as I was thinking of turning in and Holmes was settling down to one of those all-night chemical researches, which he frequently indulged in, when I would leave him stooping over a retort and a test tube at night and find him in the same position when I came down to breakfast in the morning. He opened the yellow envelope and then, glancing at the message, threw it across to me. Just look up the trains in Bradshaw, said he, and turned back to his chemical studies. The summons was a brief an urgent one. Please be at Black Swan Hotel at Winchester at midday tomorrow, it said. Do come. I am at my wit's end. Hunter. Will you come with me? asked Holmes, glancing up. I should wish to. Then just look it up, then. There is a train at half-past nine, said I, glancing over my Bradshaw. It's due in Winchester at eleven-thirty. That'll do very nicely, and perhaps I'd better postpone my analysis of the acetones, as we may need to be at our best in the morning. Well, by eleven o'clock the next day, we were well upon our way to the old English capital. Holmes had been buried in the morning papers all the way down, but after we passed the Hampshire border, he threw them down, began to admire the scenery. It was an ideal spring day, a light blue sky flecked with little fleecy white clouds drifting from west to east. The sun was shining very brightly, and yet there was an exhilarating nip in the air, which set an edge to a man's energy. All across the countryside, away to the rolling hills around Aldershot, the little red and gray roofs of the farm steadings peeped out from amid the light green of the new foliage. Are they not fresh and beautiful, I cried, with all the enthusiasm of a man fresh from the fogs of Baker Street? But Holmes shook his head gravely. Do you know, Watson, said he, that it is one of the curses of a mind with a turn like mine, that I must look at everything with reference to my own special subject. You look at these scattered houses and you're impressed by their beauty. 
I look at them, and the only thought which comes to me is a feeling of their isolation and of the impunity with which crime may be committed there. Good heavens, I cried, who would associate crime with these dear old homesteads? Ah, oh, they always fill me with a certain horror. It is my belief, Watson, founded upon my experience, that the lowest and vilest alleys in London do not present a more dreadful record of sin than does the smiling and beautiful countryside. You horrify me. But the reason is very obvious. The pressure of public opinion can do in the town what the law cannot accomplish. There's no lane so vile that the scream of a tortured child or the thud of a drunkard's blow does not beget sympathy and indignation among the neighbors. And then the whole machinery of justice is ever so close that a word of complaint can set it going. There is but a step between the crime and the dock. But look at these lonely houses, each in its own fields, filled for the most part with poor, ignorant folk who know little of the law. Think of the deeds of hellish cruelty, the hidden wickedness which may go on year in, year out, in such places, and none the wiser. Had this lady who appeals to us for help gone to live in Winchester, I should never have had a fear for her. It is the five miles of country which makes the danger. Still, it's clear she's not personally threatened. No, if, if she can come to Winchester to meet us, she can get away. Quite so. She has her freedom. What can be the matter, then? Can you suggest no explanation? I've devised seven separate explanations, each of which would cover the facts as far as we know them, but which of these is correct can only be determined by the fresh information which we shall no doubt find waiting for us. Well, there is the tower of the cathedral, and we shall soon learn all that Miss Hunter has to tell. The Black Swan is an inn of repute in the high street at no distance from the station, and there we found the young lady waiting for us. She'd engaged in a sitting room, and our lunch awaited us upon the table. I'm so delighted you've come, she said earnestly. It is so very kind of you both, but indeed I do not know what I should do. Your advice will be altogether invaluable to me. Pray, tell us what's happened to you. I will do so, and I must be quick, for I promised Mr. Rucastle to be back before three. I got his leave to come into town this morning, though he knew little for what purpose. Let us have everything in its due order, Holmes thrust his long, thin legs out towards the fire and composed himself to listen. Well, in the first place, I may say that I've met, on the whole, with no actual ill treatment from Mr. and Mrs. Rucastle. It's only fair to say that, to them to say that, but I cannot understand them, and I'm not easy in my mind about them. What can you not understand? There are reasons for the conduct, but you shall have it all just as it occurred. When I came down, Mr. Rucastle met me here and drove me in his dog cart to the Copper Beaches. It is, as he said, beautifully situated, but it's not 
beautiful in itself. It's a large square block of a house, whitewashed, but all stained and streaked with damp and bad weather. There are grounds round it, woods on three sides, and a fourth a field which slopes down to the Southampton High Road, which curves past about a hundred yards out the front door. This ground in front belongs to the house, but the woods all around it are part of Lord Southerton's preserves. A clump of copper beeches immediately in front of the hall door has given its name to the place. I was driven over by my employer, who was as amiable as ever, and was introduced by him that evening to his wife and the child. There was no truth, Mr. Holmes, in the conjecture which seemed to us to be probable in your rooms at Baker Street. Mrs. Rucastle is not mad. I found her to be a silent, pale-faced woman, much younger than her husband, not more than thirty, I should think, while he can hardly be less than forty-five. And from their conversation, I've gathered that they have been married about seven years, but he was a widower. His only child by the first wife was the daughter who had gone to Philadelphia. Mr. Rucastle told me in private the reason why she'd left them was that she had an unreasoning aversion to her stepmother. As the daughter could not have been less than twenty, I can imagine that her position must have been uncomfortable with her father's young wife. Mrs. Rucastle seemed to me to be colorless in mind as well as in feature. She impressed me neither favorably nor the reverse. She was a non-entity. It was easy to see that she was passionately devoted to both her husband and to her little son. Her light gray eyes wandered continually from one to the other, nothing every little want in forestalling it if possible. He was kind to her also in his bluff, boisterous fashion, and on the whole they seemed to be a happy couple. And yet she had some sweet sorrow, this woman. She would often be lost in deep thought with the saddest look on her face. More than once I've surprised her in tears. I've thought sometimes that it was the disposition of her child which waited upon her mind, for I've never met so utterly spoilt and so ill-natured a little creature. He is small for his age, with a head which is quite disproportionately large. His whole life appears to be spent in an alternation between savage fits of passion and gloomy intervals of sulking. Giving pain to any creature weaker than himself seems to be one idea of amusement of his, and he shows quite remarkable talent in planning the capture of mice, little birds, and insects. But I would rather not talk about the creature, Mr. Holmes, and indeed, he has little to do with my story. I'm glad of all the details, remarked my friend, whether they seem to you to be relevant or not. I shall try not to miss anything of importance. The one unpleasant thing about this house which struck me at once, was the appearance and conduct of the servants. There are only two, a man and his wife. Toller, for that is his name, is a rough, uncouth man with grizzled hair and whiskers and a perpetual smell of drink. Twice since I've been with them he has been quite drunk, and yet Mr. Rucastle seems to take no notice of it. 
His wife is a very tall and strong woman with a sour face, silent as Mrs. Rucastle, and much less amiable. There are a most, they are a most unpleasant couple, but fortunately I spend most of my time in the nursery, my own room, which are next to each other in one corner of the building. For two days after my arrival at the Copper Beaches, my life was very quiet, and on the third, Mrs. Rucastle came down just after breakfast and whispered something to her husband. Oh, yes, said he, turning to me. We're very much obliged to you, Miss Hunter, for falling in with our whims so far as to cut your hair. I assure you it has not detracted in the tiniest iota from your appearance. We shall now see how the electric blue dress will become you. You'll find it laid out upon the bed in your room. And if you would be so good as to put it on, we should both be extremely obliged. The dress, which I found waiting for me, was of a peculiar shade of blue. It was an excellent material, sort of beige, but it bore unmistakable signs of having been worn before. It could not have been a better fit if I'd been measured for it. Both Mr. and Mrs. Rucastle expressed delight at the look of it, which seemed quite exaggerated in its vehemence. They were waiting for me in the drawing-room, which was a very large room, stretching along the entire front of the house, with three long windows reaching down to the floor. A chair had been placed close to the central window, with its back turned towards it. In this I was asked to sit, and then Mr. Rucastle, walking up and down on the other side of the room, began to tell me a series of the funniest stories I have ever listened to. You cannot imagine how comical he was, and I laughed until I was quite weary. Mrs. Rucastle, however, who has evidently no sense of humor, never so much as smiled, but sat with her hands in her lap and a sad, anxious look upon her face. After an hour or so, Mr. Rucastle suddenly remarked that it was time to commence the duties of the day and that I might change my dress and go to little Edward in the nursery. Well, two days later, this same performance was gone through under exactly the same circumstances. Again I changed my dress, again I sat in the window, and again I laughed very heartily at the funny stories which my employer had an immense repertoire, and which he told inimitably. He then handed me a yellow-backed novel, moving my chair a little sideways, that my own shadow might not fall upon the page. He begged me to read aloud to him. I read for about ten minutes, and then suddenly, in the beginning of the heart of a chapter, in the middle of a sentence, he ordered me to cease and change my dress. You can easily imagine, Mr. Holmes, how curious I became as to the meaning of this extraordinary performance, what it could possibly be. There have always very careful, I observed, to turn my face away from the window, so that I became consumed with the desire to see what was going on behind my back. At first it seemed to be impossible, but I soon devised a means— my hand mirror had been broken, so a 
happy thought seized me. I concealed a piece of the glass in my handkerchief, and on the next occasion, in the midst of my laughter, I put my handkerchief up to my eyes and was able, with a little management, to see all there was behind me. I confess I was disappointed. There was nothing. At least, that was my first impression. At the second glance, however, I perceived that there was a man standing in the Southampton Road, a small bearded man in a gray suit, who seemed to be looking in my direction. The road is an important highway. There are usually people there. This man, however, was leaning against the railings which border our field and looking earnestly up. I lowered my handkerchief and glanced at Mrs. Rucastle to find her eyes fixed upon me with a most searching gaze. She said nothing, but I am convinced that she had divined that I had a mirror in my hand and had seen what was behind me. She rose at once. Jeffro, said she, there is an impertinent fellow upon the road who stares up at Mrs. Hunter. Not a friend of yours, Miss Hunter, he asked. No, I know no one in these parts. Dear me, how impertinent. Kindly turn round and motion him to go away. Surely it would be better to take no notice. No, 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 we should have him, shouldn't have him loitering there always. Kindly turn around and wave him away like that. Well, I did as I was told, and at the same instant, Mrs. Rucastle drew down the blind. Well, that was a week ago. From that time, I have not sat in the window again. Nor have I worn the blue dress, nor seen the man in the road. Goodness, that looks like a really good place to call it. We'll continue with this adventure, our final one in the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Please don't forget also, by the way, if you'd like to uh, head over to the Gutenberg Project, gutenberg.org, and uh, check out all their free public domain books over there. Great resource if you are a classic uh, uh, book person. But also, while you're there, take a look around at what book you'd like us to do next. I've got a bunch picked out. Uh, also, somebody said you should read your own book, my children's book, Willie and the Warthog. We will. Don't know if we'll do it next. It'll only take an, a stream or two because it's a very short little children's book. But uh, we will do that. Uh, maybe we will do that next. We'll figure it out and get back to you. All right. Uh, anyway, we'll continue with Sherlock Holmes coming up on our next stream. Alwyn says, Jay, would you walk to your desired destination even if it means that it'll take two hours of walking? Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I love to walk. When I go out twice a day with Miko for her walk, we do, well, he's, yeah, we do about an hour. But I don't think twice that would be so bad. I mean, you know, I'm getting up there in years, so my calves are a little not, not quite as, yeah, I know. My my legs would get fatigued. But uh, my my uh, significant other bought me uh, these very cool compression calf. They're not socks because they're open-ended. But I've been using those, and they're really helpful because before on the walks with Miko, 
my calves, everything else was fine, but my calves would kill me. I'd actually have to sit down for five minutes to let them recover. But um, since I've been wearing these compression legging things that uh, I got, um, it, it hasn't bothered me much anymore. So no, I don't, I think two hours of walking wouldn't be bad. Much more than that, I'd probably clutch my chest and, and keel over, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, yeah, I would be more than willing. <clears throat> and the other half of that would be, that would depend upon what was at the other end of my destination waiting for me. Yeah, that might make a difference to whether or not I was encouraged to go. <laughs> All right, Alvin, thanks for sticking with us tonight. I'm going to uh, head on out of here. We will see you again on, uh, oh, Saturday night. This is Wednesday, so we'll see you Saturday night, 10 o'clock Malaysian time, 10 a.m. on the East Coast Saturday morning. And uh, thanks for popping by, and don't forget to listen in on our podcast, too. We appreciate that. All right. See you again. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Snort. <laughs>